It is wonderful to see everybody back. Um, let us let us learn. So we have a a lot ahead of us. We are, we're going to be talking about a topic called Hanukkah in Shrem. And if that sounds unusual, it is unusual. There's, there's a lot to unpack together. Let's try to do that um, together. But before we start, before we get into this really fascinating topic, let's first of all thank um, Tova and Nat Farago, who are sponsoring today's share in memory of Nat's mother, Bluma Bas Naftani, and in memory of Tova's father, Esther Bas David, whose yachts are just around now. Nishmaseim Aiden, thank you, Tova and Nat, for always being part and always being part of the community and for choosing this as a venue and opportunity to learn Le'ilu Nishmaseim. They should get continued nachas from you, always. Um, and we also thank Elliot and Marin Lenauer, um, in who are sponsoring today's share in the 22nd Yardside of Marilyn's grandmother, Stella K. Abraham, Sarah Leabas Shmuel. Her name is her name lives on very much in our community, not just because of the school, but or, but uh, be, um, most prominently because of the family that she raised and continues to influence, and the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, great great grandchildren. Who continue to be a bracha? Be'ezras Hashem, uh, it should be an alias neshama for her. Let's uh, let, uh, let us let us learn together, folks. We have a lot of interesting things to learn about today, and I'll tell you the truth is that when it comes to when it comes to uh, Hanukkah, we, we you know it's eight days and there's no Megillah and there's no Masechet in the Gemara. You think how much could there be to learn? And the truth is that every year it just keeps getting better. And so I'd like to share an idea which I came across this year where I'd never before seen. I'd never before seen this idea. And I'd like to develop the idea, set up some comparisons and some ideas, and then try to understand some, and some observations about those ideas. So let's start at the very beginning. Um, it, starts, um, it starts at the beginning. So it's interesting that there is a discussion in general in the Torah of a notion called Ma'ase Avos Simon Labanim. What happens to the, pa- the parents, in fact, is a sign or a, a precursor to what's going to happen to the children. And we, we see this in numerous examples. You know, Yaakov and Esau's meeting and Pashas Vayishlach and that being a precursor to aspects of the Golas and the, all kinds of interesting things. What Avram Avinu does and what's going to happen to the children of Israel and Mitzrayim. Lots of very interesting ideas. And one of the questions which the Balei Machshava ask is, is there a master of a Simonobanim for Hanukkah? Is there a biblical precedent, a story which best exemplifies many of the Hanukkah events? And you think to yourselves, well, the, you know, Hanukkah really didn't occur at the times of the Torah. It, uh, you know, there's the, the, there was no Hanukkah by the time that the, the canon of the Bible was closed. What, what could we really look for in Hanukkah? But it sure turns out there is one very fascinating episode. And it actually goes down, back to an interesting insight, which is yielded in the Megillah Antiochus. My, um, my, uh, my wife just pointed this out to me. I was discussing with this, with this on Friday night. And she said, you know, I remember there's a section in Megillah Antiochus which talks about this. What is Megillah Antiochus? It's interesting. It's a later kind of almost Medrash-like um, Megillah, it's it's certainly not the same as like the Megillahs that we have, but it's written in the form, the same format, almost like a Megillah, um, like the Megillahs that we have um, in, in terms of like Megillahs Esther. It's written very much in a similar format. It's written in Aramaic. He has an English translation, and this 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 section over here is is most poignant for us. When the five sons of Matisiel heard, they arose and came to Mitzpah of Gilad, a place where which was refuge for them in the days of the prophet Samuel. They decreed a fast and sat upon ashes in order to seek favor from the God in heaven. Then a good counsel entered their minds. Their names were Judah the firstborn, Shimon the second oldest, Jonathan the third, Jonathan the fourth, 
Eliezer V. Their father blessed them before he sent for them forth to battle and said, Judah, my son, I give thanks that your action is like that of Judah, the son of Yaakov, who is compared to a lion. Shimon, my son, I give th- thanks to you that your action is that of Shimon ben Yaakov, who killed the inhabitants of Shechem because they committed offenses against his sister Dina. So the, to me, this particular happens to be that he is using the name Shimon, which is one of the names of his son, and that's why he is, um, he is, he is using this particular blessing. But it is interesting to note this particular episode that Matisyao is using, at least according to the version of the um, of the Sefer Chash, of Migras Antiochus, that it relates to the the this episode of Dina, and this is important because actually that is the episode which is going to be um, the episode. This is going to be the master of our similar bonim. This is going to be our um, archetype of our investment with the Greeks. Why so? Let's think about this for just a moment. We go back to that story, the story of Dina, and it's a complex story. It's a story of where we hear about um, Dina goes out, the Yaakov Avinu and the children on the way back to Israel. He sojourns near Shechem. When he comes to Shechem, she goes out, she's abducted, she's raped, negotiations are made. The children of Yaakov, Shimon and Levi then say, if you do uh, this circumcision, we'll all, we'll all come together. They do circumcision. Three days later, they massacre the whole city. And there's this fight between Yaakov and his sons as to whether that was the correct thing to do or not. That's the story. So how many, how many comparisons can we see between these two ideas, between these two ideologies, or these st- stories, and perhaps um, give us a little bit of perspective? So let's start at the very beginning. Something which I just noticed as well, with the Chassam Sofa, by the way, just... We'll, we'll come back to this Chassam Sofa later on. But the Chassam Sofa says exactly this idea. Perhaps we'll come back to this Chassam Sofa later on in his Joshua's and Hanukkah. He notices this is on many accounts. But we'll, this, is not, this is not new. But the, the, it's interesting to me, the first Shechem in the Torah. Shechem is a city. It's not a nation. But the first time we really hear of Shechem in the Torah is actually not as a city. He has the post that describes. The first on the word Shechem is actually mentioned in the Torah. It's describing the actions, the joint actions between Yefes and, um, and Shem. Those are the two sons of Noach who are walking into the room backwards, carrying the cloak in order to protect the nakedness of their father, Noach, who has become drunk on a most basic level. Um, what is fascinating to me is, is that this joint action is the joint action between the Semites, the Shem, that's, that's us, that's our, our patriarch, and Yephes, that's the patriarch of the Greeks. There's this joint action between the two, which is to be found in the word Shem. And perhaps that's part of the argument, what the Torah is setting up over here, is what's about to occur in Shechem, in the city of Shechem, is going to be the question of whether the two of Shem and Yephes can coexist or that it cannot coexist. That is going to be the question that is going to be um, that, that the Torah is going to explore in this episode. Let's take a look at some of the comparative similarities between these two cases, between these two episodes that occur: the episode of Dina in, the, in those days, and more, and uh, and the episode of the Chashmonai and the story of the Chashmonai in later generations. So let's let's start at the very beginning. The first thing we know is is that it starts off with rape. Right, so we know that it, it, the pasuk says, "Vayyara saw Shem ben Chamor, hachivin asiyah aretz vayikach oisav vayishkav oisav vayaneo." The the Shem, who's the son of the governor over here of the city or the mayor of the city, takes her and uh, and uh, and forcibly rapes her. That's what we're told about in in, in Bereshis. 
Is there such a parallel? Is there such a parallel in the Hanukkah story? The truth is absolutely. In fact, the Gemara tells us in um, uh, in Shabbos uh, that Davchav Kimol that Adam Rabbi Yishev and Levi Nashim Chayavas Bener Hanukkah Sha'afhein Hayubaos The reason why women are responsible to light the Neres Hanukkah as well. Now, when it comes to a married couple, happens to be that the same menorah can, can count for both. But technically speaking, both both men and women are obligated to light menorahs. Um, and that being the case, why is that the case? Rashi tells us, Why were they in that in that miracle? This heinous law that before any marriage would happen is that the young lady, the bride to be, would have to take a visit to the to the Persian to the Greek governor's um, bedroom before before marriage. That would be the that was one of the decrees that was extended at the time, which meant to say that women were equally, so to speak, victims of this of this um, terrible um, decree of the Greeks. And similarly, and also not only the victims, but they were the, the savior as well. What does it mean that they were the sa- they, they were um, also part of the uh, miracle? So famously, this goes back to a story which there's a medrash which describes this in the Oetzer HaMidrashim, which describes the story of Yehudis. Yehudis was this um, lady who uh, was in, in, there's many different versions of this. In fact, there's a book of Judith which places the story a little earlier with different characters. But the Yehudis is, is seen to be the sister of the Maccabees. She was taken in under this Kazera to the, uh, to the, that particular general and she was able to um, she gave him cheese products, which made him thirsty. She gave him wine, and after after um, that whole episode, when he was drunk, she she removed his head, and uh, was, that was a great victory for the Jews of the time. So just to, to put things in perspective, there's perhaps the Afeno Yobasanes was, was that they were saved by a woman, but also that they were also victimized in the same way. This law itself. Uh, as heinous and disgusting as it is, is in fact the law which is the parallel to the rape of Dina, right? It's 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 a certain level of if you think about it, enculturation. It's a certain level of of dominance of, the, uh, the, uh, of a main culture over a subculture which is being expressed over here. Let's. It's interesting actually. The Rambam in Hilchos Chanukah actually describes this clearly when he describes. This is the first halacha in Hilchos Chanukah where he describes. When the, the kings of, of Yavon made gezeros against uh, decrees against Israel, bitlu dasom, and annulled their religion, Mitzvahs did not allow them to perform Torah and commandments, and they, they extended their hands against the, the money of the Jews and against their daughters, which means to say that this was part of their assimilation was also the rape. And, and this in a, this is, relates very much to the central theme or the central episode in the story of Dina. Let's go a little. Let's go a little further as well in terms of the notion of assimilation. So we also told this the, that one of the propositions that the brothers Shimon and Levi make to Hamor and Shem, knowing that it will be accepted even at cost, is the following suggestion: But now, if you will circumcise yourselves, then you know what. We'll intermarry. We will live among you. One multicultural, pluralistic, happy melting pot society. And in fact, they are correct. They know, they know very well that Shechem and Hamar are not going to be able to turn this down. This is something that they do want. This is the suggestion of assimilation used as a 
uh, carrot to seduce, so to speak, the, the rulers of, of Shechem. This is obviously something they do want. Well, is this true? The answer is absolutely it is true of the Hanukkah story. When we read about the Hanukkah story, I, I mean... We're used to the version that these terrible Greeks come along and they make all these decrees. That's not exactly how it was. Was It wasn't just Jews fighting against Greeks. It was Jews fighting against Jews. Like, just to give you an example, I mean, just how terrible it is. He has one, one short excerpt from, um, from, uh, the, from, from Josephus about the time preceding this. It's about this time upon the death of Onias, the high priest. They gave the high priesthood to Jesus, his brother, for that son, which Onias left for, um, Onias for, was yet but an infant. And in his proper place, we will inform the reader of the circumstances that befell that child. But this Jesus was the brother of Onias, who was deprived of the high priesthood by the king, who was angry with him, and he gave it to his younger brother, whose name was also Onias. For Simon had three sons, to each of them priesthood came, as we have already informed the reader. This Jesus changed his name to Jason, but Onias called him Menelaus. Now, by the way, notice these are all Greek names. This is the Koyen Godel. Now, as the former high priest, Jesus raised sedition against Menelaus, who was ordained after him. The multitude were divided between them both, and the sons of Tobias took the part of Menelaus, but the greater part of the people assisted Jason. So here you have now a fight over who is going to be the Koyen Godel, right, by two extensions of the family. And by the means, and, and, and by that means, Menelaus and the sons of Tobias were distressed, and they retired to Antiochus and informed him that they were desirous to leave the law of their country and the Jewish way of living with them to follow the king's laws and the Grecian ways of living. Wherefore, they desired his permission to build them a gymnasium in Jerusalem. And when he had given them leave and also hid the circumcision by their genitals, and even when they were naked, they may appear to be Greeks. Accordingly, they left all the, left off all the customs that belonged to their own country and imitated the practices of the other, na- uh, the other nations. Let's understand what this means. This means to say there's a, there's a debate between two people for the succession of Kohuna Gadola, of who's going to be the Kohen Gadol, Right. And in that, in, in, in this very complex decision, there are people seeking favor for the overlord, which is the Greeks, right, Antiochus. And in order to do this, one of them is reporting that either side is being too adherent to the laws. And in order to gain a, a bid to the Kuhn of Godala, which obviously is a lucrative position, what they start doing is, is they start assimilating to the degree that we're talking about the Kohen Godal and his family, folks. Right, who's hiding his brismilla and, ma- and making a bid to spend money to make a, a, a Greek gymnasium in Jerusalem. This is where we are, we are at the times of Yudha Maccabi, uh, at, the, at the times of Matisio. We're, we're talking about a nation just so involved in Greek culture. This is the Kohen Godel. The Kohen Godel is an assimilated Jew. That's where we're at. This is our spiritual leader of the time. And so when, when that, that precursor of the son saying to the people of Shechem, you know, let's be, that was happening. And there were many, many people who were of this persuasion as well. Let's go a little further. Who were in fact the zealots? So we know that in Beratius, in the story of Dina, if we go to the beginning, We know that the zealots were in fact Shimon and Levi. Of course, the, it, it, we, we, we know that, in fact, in the, in the story of, um, in the story of uh, um, the they are led by the Chashmonayim. Matisio is the one who first kills the Hellenized Jew and the Greek man who are bringing a pig on the altar in Modim. And that in, in Matisio is, in fact, of course, 
a Kohen coming from the tribe of Levi. So this is be the precursor to that. Of course, his son is Shimon. That's why he gives him the blessing of being like Shimon in the Bible as well, which is what we saw beforehand. Let's go a little further in terms of numbers for just a second. If you read uh, about eight, the, the eight battles of the Chashmonaim, which are recorded, but before we even get there, we know over here that, in fact, in this case, how many people was it in terms of numbers? It was two of the sons of Yaakov massacring the entire village, the entire city of Shechem. Well, in al Nesim, as we just said this morning, it should be relevant to us is to hear about the the, the Rabbim biad matim. If you read Sefer Maccabee, book the book of Maccabees one and two, and you read about the um, the eight battles that ensued between the Chashmonaim and the Greeks, certainly at the beginning, the odds were were ridiculously stacked against them in terms of numbers and be able to succeed. Rabbim biad matim. It's the same model as Shimon Levi taking on the city of Shechem. It also is worthwhile noting this word over here, Tameim biad torim. That the impure were given in the hands of the pure. If you remember the word that it used to describe how um, the, uh, the, the, the relationship of the Anshe Shechem with Dina, it says, Asher Timei Dina Achosam, who impurified Dina, their sister. That also should be relevant in terms of the story as well. If we take it even, even a little further in terms of the continuation of the story, if we carry on reading, um, right after the, the Shechem episode in the Torah, the next thing that happens is Yaakov says to, the, to his sons the following. <clears throat> Remove all the false gods in your midst and purify yourselves and change your clothes. I would like to set myself up and I would like to include um, to, um, to, to make an altar and to, uh, to, to thank Hashem who has been with me and protected me. This is, this is what happens immediately afterwards. Well, this should ring a bell because if you think about it afterwards, what was the first thing that happened right after in Maccabees 2, after the, the fourth battle? Upon conquering the temple, they destroyed all the, the altars and all the giluenlim which were set up um, by, um, in, in, the, in the temple precinct. Right? By the way, when it says the goyim, it doesn't mean just the foreigners, it means also the Jews who are supporting them. They make a new altar. They bring a sacrifice to God. By the way, they haven't even mentioned the menorah yet. This is the first thing they do is they make an altar and they bring a sacrifice. And they reestablish the order, the Seder Ha'avoda in the Beis Amigdash. Isn't this fascinating? So the first thing that they do when the Maccabees recapture Jerusalem is, first of all, they destroy all the false gods. And they now and they and they set up an altar to sacrifice. That is exactly the same state called sequence of events that happen after Dina. After succeeding against this nation who seeks to assimilate with them, they kill them. They set up, They remove the Elohei Nechor, the Elohei Nechor, the false gods in their midst. Discussion in the Mefarshim. What does the Yaakov mean? The loot of the battle, perhaps, and um, and and they establish a Mizbeach. It's also worthwhile noting, if you continue along the storyline over here, after this, this particular episode, we have the, the, the arrival of Devorah, Amenekes Rivka. She dies, and she's buried under Alon Bachus. Bachus, according to the Mephoshim, is actually a Greek word. And then we hear the story of the, the children of Asaph. 
Um, the, and the, the, the end of the Pasha's Yishra closes with all the, the history of Esav, which makes a lot of sense because after the, the Maccabees, the Chashwanis, succeed against the Greeks, there is a period of about 103 years where they do rule with intermittent battles with the Greeks. And finally, they invite the Romans in, in some infighting and Roman takes on there afterwards. And that's, so to speak, the ace of closing the parasha as well, which is important to, to, to appreciate it. Um, the, the last and um, thought of perhaps connection is, in fact, circumcision. So we know that in the story of Dina, and the and and the brothers, the the uh, perhaps the bid they make to have this unified um, operation is ach elachem. We know one little small adjustment, and we'll agree to be with you. If you bring with us if you will circumcise every male. Now this sounds like the opposite, right? This sounds the opposite of what was going on because you know when it came to um, the times of uh, of uh, the of um. Of the of Antiochus in the times of the Greeks, it's interesting. Here is here's what, what we're told. Vayan, um, let's go back to the beginning here. Yeah. So you know that there's this nation of, of Jews in, in Jerusalem. And they would do their own thing. By the way, you'll notice that it's, it, this, this Megillah is set up in the same way as Megillah's Esther, right? So the same bid made towards Achashverosh in similar words. Right, so and, and let's do the English for a second because the Hebrew is a little um, corrupted here. And further, they look forward to the day of destruction of kings and rulers for when they say, our, our king will rule of us and we shall govern the land and sea and the world will be our dominion. Is it not the glory of the kingdom to suffer them on the face of the earth? Um, and so what, what do they say? What's the suggestion? Come now, let us go against them and destroy the covenant of the God that is made with them. Their Sabbaths, new moon festivals and circumcision. So among the three decrees they make against the, the, the Jews is circumcision. And, you, and you, this makes a whole lot of sense. Part of the Greek philosophy was the, the, the beauty and the perfection of the human body. And here you have these Jews who they see essentially mutilating the human body. So what they're saying is, is let's get rid of this in order that we can have perfection. But not just perfection because of perfection of the image. It's also, if you think about this, Ragadalia Shor talks about this, is that what essentially is circumcision to the Greeks as it relates to the, to, the, to the Jews? It's not just the perfection of the body, but it's also a factor which separates them. The Greeks believe that everybody should be Greek and Hellenized. Everybody should be adopting their culture. And here you have these Jews who continue to set up barriers between themselves and their Greek overlords. In the same way that they they break through the walls of the temple. It refers to a wall in the temple called the Soreg. The Soreg was a wall which prevent, beyond which non-Jews were not allowed to enter the temple. Were non-Jews allowed to come to the temple? Yes, they were. But they could not go beyond the Soreg. The Greeks felt this was very un, uh, inappropriate on the, uh, in terms of their you know, multicultural perspective, but they broke it. They made 13 breakages in the Soreg, which, do, which separated them from the, inner, from the inner areas of the temple. Same way over here. They viewed circumcision as this wall as well. So they said, let's not have a wall. So what's interesting is, is that in, in the, the primordial account of this, in the account of the, the brothers and Dina, the rape of Dina, it is interesting in that episode that the suggestion of the brothers is almost the same. It's just the opposite way around, if you think about that. Because their suggestion to have everybody, when everybody's going to be circumcised, if you think what that essentially means, that's the grand equalizer. 
right? It just happens to be it's the other way around because they're the ones dictating the terms, but they're essentially saying, well, how's it going to be? Well, you know, Amechad, there will be one nation, is there won't be any, any, any distance between us. If you think about the actual rape itself, what was, what was Shechem and, and Hamor essentially doing, besides for being a lusting person who couldn't control himself, essentially also it was this, also this bid, this, this, this attempt to bring together these two nations. We should be one nation. And they were making that suggestion through their suggestion of Brismillah as well. This is, this is in terms of the ideas. The question is now like, look, looking at this, at, at, at this episode over here and trying to think to us um, that, what, this, what, what, what this means to us. The first thing just to, to be aware of is, is the following. The first thing is is to, to this 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 idea that I'm, I'm putting on the table for thought I'm, is very very recently de- developed for myself. I only found uh, out about this when I was learning um, a, a, a sefer by Rav, the Talmudim of Rav Moshe Shapiro, where he mentions this idea. And then I still did a little bit of digging, and I found out that actually the Chasm Sofer talks about this. Rav David Cohen talks about this. Um, Rav Gedalia Shor or Gedalia talks about this. So this is really an idea which is out there, just very, not, you know, it's perhaps not a very popular idea yet um, that people are aware of. Uh, but a few things just to be aware of in terms of the observation. Obviously, these 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 uh, these parallels are in um, are undeniable. The question is, what do we make of it? A few other points that are important to notice. Rav Shor points out is that this is also an exile which occurs upon the land of Israel. This is an exile which, which is not where Israel is in Babylon or in Rome. It's actually where they're on the land of Israel. Shechem is in Israel proper. That's where this, this entire episode occurs. And that makes sense because the entire episode of the Hashemunayim and the Greeks was on the territory, was in the land of Israel as well. Uh, um, as well. It's also worthwhile noting that this became the first, uh, the Orgadaliyahu points out, the first time that the nation of Israel are in fact called, the children of Israel are called Yisrael. Right, so the uh, Israel. This should not be enough. This, this, such should not be done in Israel, referring to the tribes of Israel, not as individual men and human beings, but rather as Israel. This became the first time, in a certain sense, they they took that as the appellation. Remember, they're only going to get the title of Israel just afterwards from Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself. What is interesting is, is this is also on the cusp of sovereignty, which is about to be uh, be, be afforded to them via the um, Chashmonaim later on as well, which is also something which should not be should not be lost. Now, in terms of the observations itself, there are just uh, three three basic observations which are worthwhile noting, and that is first of all the reaction of Dina. We don't hear, we don't hear anything about what Dina does. It, it, she is almost this passive character in this in, in the story. Um, she is taken, she's abducted, she is forcefully raped, and then it says that that that, 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 that they talk al naara, they talk to her. But we don't hear anything about it. The Mephorshim discussed this. The Ramban says, the Ramban makes the comments that in fact she was. Um, that that she was crying and imprisoned, she was rejected by uh, by her captors and ultimately her brothers as well. Terrible, terrible story, terrible, tragic story, which the Ramban paints of her as well. I think it's just important to realize, and w- w- without going into the the perhaps this the the um, notion of blaming the victim. This is not at all, God forbid, what what um, I intend to do. But it is worthwhile noting that the story does begin not with the actions of the Bene- uh, of the people of Shechem, but by Dina itself. It describes that Teitzei Dina, she goes out. And Chazal already pick up on this, and Rashi quotes one of these aspects, uh, a relationship to, 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 to lay in that respect. This is, this is not in any way saying that what she did deserved what ended up happening to her, God forbid. 
but it is worthwhile noting in the archetype of history, the relationship with the Greeks did not start with Antiochus IV coming along and besieging Jerusalem and 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 leveling these laws. In fact, there were there were decades upon decades of relationship between the Jews and Greeks before now. Remember that Jerusalem is the center of two Greek cultures: the Seleucid Greeks up in the north in Syria and the Ptolemaean Greeks down in the south. And part of the complexity of Israel is that Israel keeps switching hands between Ptolemyan Greeks and the Seleucid Greeks. And that means to say that there's, they're in two subsets of cultures of Greek culture, trying to display loyalty to both, and the Jews were very taken by the Greeks. In general, generally speaking, the Jews, as has unfortunately been the case throughout all of history, are very adept to becoming very good at the culture that they are in. And this was the case. As ju- I just quoted beforehand, the, the, that episode in, um, in Josephus, which is really just the tip of the iceberg as to their involvement and investment in the culture around them, the Jews are involved to such a degree. When you read Pirkei Avos, you, you know, we, we have the two Yoseis, who are the Zugos, at the time of of the Chashmonaim and of this whole thing, you know, the Gemara describes. I think it's the Yossi ben Yoezer. I don't know if it's his son or it's his nephew, who who is a Hellenized Jew, and he has to uh, he has to disinherit. It's this terrible, terrible things. He was persecuted by his own family who were Hellenized Jews. It's a bad time. The Jews were already enculturated. If you read through book, the book of Maccabees, when they killed the Greeks, it wasn't just the Greeks. They were fighting against Hellenized Jews who they had to kill after they were the, the battles with the Greeks themselves. This was no simple, this was no simple feat. So in terms of, in terms of the, this, this battle over here, this is not just the battle of good versus evil, you know, Jews versus non-Jews. This is the battle of culture over here. And we were the first ones to initiate that cult, that, 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 that. We were the ones who went out and accepted their culture before it got bad. That's something just worth our thinking historically, perhaps, what this archetype is, is saying, without laying the blame in this particular case for making the complexity. Another aspect of this is where was Yehuda? It's interesting to note that of the brothers who took umbrage, of the brothers who went out there and 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 um, and exacted justice, it was Shimon and Levi. Reuven was not the leader, and Yehuda was not the leader. We're going to see them emerge as leaders later on in Parshas Vayeshev, but it's not Yehuda. And it turns out you need to have a zealot. You need to have somebody who cares so passionately that they're going to do anything to protect the honor and the posterity and the uniqueness of Israel. There's no question. But it is interesting that Yehuda does not act in this. And that becomes one of the bones of contention of the whole Hashwanaim episode. Yes, they were able to reprise the Greeks. And by the way, it was an incredible miracle. But thereafterwards, it becomes complex. It becomes complex because power is handed from Hashwanai to Hashwanai, from Maccabee to Maccabee. It goes from Yehuda and then it goes to Yohanatan. And at a certain point, Shimon takes the head of, at, at 40 years later, he becomes the head of the army, the Kohen Gadol, and the king, Right? He becomes a very powerful person. That was not seen as a positive thing. And there becomes a power struggle within the house of Hashemunai between different factions. Turns into civil war. They invite the Romans in. It's a terrible thing. And one of the criticisms the Ramban already levels against the Hashemunayim is that they, yes, they, they, were, they were supposed to succeed in reprising the Greeks, but they were not supposed to continue holding that scepter. La yasur shevet mihura, the scepter should never leave the house of Judah. They should have, after having succeeded in their zealous, zealous battle, have given over the reins of power to the true leaders, which was Yehuda. And the absence of Yehuda in the story of Dina is perhaps underscoring 
exactly this point as well. And finally, I would say is the long-term idea or long-term success of this idea. And that's something which is worthwhile noting, is at the end of all of this, Yaakov Avinu confronts the brothers who have performed this episode, and he says to them, and again, we're looking at this story in Bereshis, Perek Lamedalid, as the way of unpacking, and perhaps as a commentary on the later Simon Lebanim, which occurs in history. And we ask ourselves, is it a good idea? And there was a debate as to whether this was a good idea. On the one hand, Yaakov Avinu says to the brothers, you've you, you, you blocked me up, you've, you've put me in a, in a compromised position, because all we're going to be at, at, in disgrace, we're going to be vulnerable to our surroundings, to those who are around us. That's the, 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 the accusation that Yaakov makes of his sons. And they respond with, Is our sister going to be treated like a lady of the night? Is, is she going to be treated in this disgraceful manner? And Yaakov desists. He doesn't say anything. It's almost as if Yaakovinu acquiesces. Yet later on, on his deathbed, again, Yaakovinu has what to say about this. And he says, He curses both Shimon and Levi for their actions, what he sounds to be criticizing as rash actions. What happened? Why is it at the end of the episode of the Maasedina? Of this whole episode of Dina, where they, they do seek reprisal, it is that Yaakov Vinu does not say anything. He, he he keeps quiet upon their argument, and later on, it is that, that 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 he reprimands them. There are many different answers which are given. One of the beautiful answers that um, uh, Rabbi Chaim Angel once mentioned, one of my teachers mentioned, is um, is that what happened was in the interleading years, their their logic became came under question. What does that mean? Their logic came under question. Very simple. Their claim was, is that we will do anything for the protection of the posterity of our brother, our sister. We'll do anything to protect our family. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense until the point that you sell your brother. Right? If it's going to be the same Shimon and Levi who are going to sell their brother, but they were the ones who claimed, how could we allow a sister to be in such a situation? Well, then their entire claim falls flat. Their entire claim that we're acting because, not because of out of rashness, not because out of a love for violence, but because we want to protect our, our sibling. Well, when you don't protect your sibling later on in history, then that become, that that that, that, enter, that becomes a, question, a questionable activity, which is perhaps what's happening over here. In retrospect, Yaakov says, wait a second, why were you doing this? When we look at the Chashmonai, the Chashmonai started off very well, and it was zealous, and they were able to succeed in battle, and they prayed to Hashem, and then the odds were against them. But push it on a little bit further in history, and it really was brother against brother, mother imprisoning sons, brother, it was, to a certain point, uh, uh, when it was Harkonnes and Aristobulus, who t- two of the um, of of the the progeny of the Chashmonaim, the Gemorim Baba Kama describes that, that that it came to a point there was such civil war between the two factions in the Chashmonaim family that the one side was inside the base of Migdash under siege, and the other one was outside the base of Migdash under siege to the point that the uh, the external group was sending in a uh, the necessary animals to bring the korbanos in the base of Migdash, and one day they brought up a chazir, a pig, to the base of Migdash, and uh, you have to understand the depth of the com- of the complexity in the the strife between brothers which ensued after the base the, the This is this is the complexity which perhaps the 
the story ends with. And the, 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 the Torah is not saying, and everybody lived happily ever after, necessarily. It's a little more complex than that. However, at the same time, I would like to go back to one little point that we, that, that we raised beforehand, and that is the idea of um, the, the Ramam quoted. And, and bearing all of this in mind, something which is, should be relevant to us. Let's go back to, to a moment to what the Ramam says. The Ramam says, says, says the following. Um, here we go. Just back to a source that was earlier. Um, the Ram says, and I'd like to quote this at the beginning of Hilchas Hanukkah again, yeah, and just to put things into context. And this, with this we close. Babayas Sheni, during the second temple reign, Keshemalche Yovon Gozru Gezeros al Yisrael, when the kings of, of Yovon brought Gezeros on, on Israel. And as we know, historically speaking, it was because the Jews started playing games with the Greeks, as just I mentioned before, and the uh, different high priests were trying to jockey for power over Jerusalem, right? And then the Greeks got involved. And they did not allow them to perform Torah and Mitzvahs once they got involved. And they took the, the advantage of um, their, both their, their assets, and they took advantage of their children, of their daughters. They made holes in the temple, that was the gate, the, the, the division wall, but from which the divided Jew and non-Jew, and impurified, that was just pure. And it became... And and uh, and it made it very difficult for Israel. The, the house of Hashmonai, of the Kohanim Gedolim, the real Kohanim Gedolim, succeeded And the, the sovereignty of Israel returned to Israel for more than 200 years. Just to appreciate what that means. Included in that are, are the civil, civil wars between the factions of the Hashmonaim. It's when the Hashmonaims are completely obliterated and killed by their servant Herod, Hurdus. It is the, the Herod and his, uh, and, and his infatuation with, with, the, uh, with, with rebuilding the Basimedish at the same time, also his connection to Rome, which continues. All of that is included in those 200 years. And what the Ramam is telling us is that with all the imperfections, with all the complexities of governance of Jews, and all the complexity which we're going to see this time, it is still the miracle of Hanukkah which we celebrate, and that is the miracle that we were allowed sovereign for those 200 years, as imperfect a time as it was. And that's perhaps what the, what this, the story of, of Dina is also to, uh, highlighting for us. It was a tremendous victory. It was a victory against universalism. It was a victory about the particularistic nature of Israel and pres- protecting that particularistic miracle, even at high cost, even at high risk. Even though most of the other brothers did not join them, as most of the Jews did not join the Maccabees in their fight until at least they were very successful. And there were many Jews who felt that it was untowards that the Maccabees were doing this. Nonetheless, in this fight they were successful and it was the bracha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, And that's what we celebrate. Because with all the imperfections that it came with and all the questions that were raised afterwards and many generations later, nonetheless this still was the victory. And this, this was the victory of the Beis Hashemlai. I think this perhaps this, this opens up the, the, the gateway for a lot more discussion about this particular topic. And I think that we're only at the beginning in terms of actually understanding this fully. Um, I thank you so, so much for taking the time today. And Mr. Shem, I look forward to hearing your comments on this particularly interesting topic.